All right, we've just finished a wild week of ups and downs on this brand new track in Ludenvier, France. So here's your Maxis tyres post-race show with Nico Mullally and Ollie Morris. Maxis is synonymous with racing and is the name that comes to mind when you think of performance. It's no surprise then that they've won more than any other brand in the history of World Cup racing. No matter where or how you ride, Maxis has got the tyres for you with a wide range of tread patterns, casing and compound options. On my enduro bike I've got the DHR2 Max Terra double down on the rear, paired up with an Asagai Max Grip up front using their slightly lighter XO Plus casing. On the downhill bike I've gone all in with DHR2 front and rear, both in downhill casings and both using their super grippy max grip compound. Both of those setups are working awesome for me. You can check out the entire range of Maxxis tires over at maxis.com and find the tires at your local Maxxis dealer. You can also give them a follow on Instagram where they are at Maxxis Bike. Ludenvier delivered us some ups and downs, ending in some absolutely awesome elite racing. Join me, Nico and Ollie to talk about that insane track, the schedule changes, the cancellation of the junior racing, the wildest race runs and much, much more. So without further ado, here's your Maxis Tires post-race show for the 2023 Ludenvier World Cup. All right, welcome back, everybody. We're thick and fast through the racing this year. It's been an exciting few weeks. We've got one more on this block of three back-to-back, but we're in a brand new uh, venue here in Ludenvier. There's definitely been uh, some ups and downs throughout the week, um, some exciting racing. I think the final uh, for the elite men and women really provided a fantastic race. But first off, we'll start with you, Ollie. You've been on site this week uh, helping with the Mondraker team uh, and some of the other riders that you support. Let's find out a bit about this track from your perspective. So brand brand new for this year. We've had a test event there um, designed and built by Roman Poulain, uh, who rides for Santa Cruz, I think. A uh, super good rider who actually raced the um, Enduro this weekend as well as being on site and ke- keeping the track going. Um, talk us through it from your perspective, man. So, yeah, the new the new track. What what a beast of a track. Like, it, it was a little bit, I guess, probably arguably a little bit boring at the top. Like, when we'd heard about this kind of steep track, it was kind of, you know, just cut in, not too steep and... Um, uh, yeah, kind of not, I'd like to say not a lot to separate them. Although as, if you look at the timing sheets, there actually was some time to be, to be gained up there, but almost like skipping through that quickly, the end of that top section, you start, you got into that stall wall, which turned into just the most insane <laughs> gap that, uh, uh, I think it was actually faster or so people said they were, but at one point it looked like it was almost just like a bit of a willy waving contest of who, <laughs> who could send the gap kind of thing. Um, and that really was the start of the of the main bit of the track. You know, you you got over that stall wall, you came into some uh, awesome and really difficult turns because they were coming. They were kind of like you're in a bike park, but you're going over the back of the turns. So it made it quite challenging. Some of them off camber, and then you're into this suddenly like just loamy or yeah, like grassy, rutted up. They looked like a motorbike track at times, kind of corners. Um, before you got to the bridge, took one last kind of breath, I guess, and then went into the steep stuff, uh, which, um, yeah, like to watch and uh, I'm sure to ride. Everyone was absolutely stoked to have a section like that uh, in a World Cup track. Uh, it was challenging. It had line options. I'm going to go out and say it was probably the widest section of trail or track we've ever had at a World Cup, but... <laughs> 
I can't go back that f so I can only go back so far but this one bit was crazy wide uh, which meant obviously it had line options um, then you had it was almost it was almost a forgotten section after the woods where it had this some more really steep stuff which was when I was re-looking at it come race day on semi-finals I stood there and watched and it probably what like just an insane section and that and actually caused quite a difference in times and in that section um and that's before maybe i'll speak quickly about the last two sectors but i almost shouldn't because they really did separate the riders you know you think there's just a couple of jumps and a, and a few turns but the turns were very technical and uh it really was like who wanted to commit the most to this sort of slight off camber coming into the finish and a couple other bits further up so a beast of a track and uh great to see the sport going that way yeah, there was definitely time to be won and lost in every single part of the track this weekend. I mean, I'm sure there always is to some extent, but th this track really did highlight that. Um, Nico, how did it feel from your perspective for this one? I'm guessing there was probably more FOMO perhaps than there has been for some other races. Yeah, totally. I uh, I watched Loic's head cam when he posted it like three or four weeks ago, and it didn't honestly look like that much to it like it, the track looked pretty basic from the initial gopro that came out um but then seeing the first practice it looked like the sickest course ever they were just like <laughs> roosting turns it looked like so much fun um i think it it just cut in really well it's like a good example of letting letting the track be natural and wide and allowing the bikes to develop the track into a race course um so it looked like an awesome track fun to ride raced well um yeah uh, from my side like watching it was a really cool really cool race to watch yeah definitely it, it was. was quite interesting actually on that note nico about the like it being like natural and letting it form and uh, and it, it kind of meant that uh should i say have to that the, the 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 course builders were up there maintaining some of the corners and like filling in some of the ruts and there was definitely a bit of conversation on the track side about well should we just leave it you know like keep letting it develop like rather than put it in and there was one that literally blew out and I stood there and if no rider made it through so maybe we need to fix them but there was definitely this thing of like well hold on a minute I don't know if that rut's going to be there next time because they've kind of filled it in so there was definitely a you know, uh, some people preferring it and some people not in terms of how much they should let it develop versus how much they should just, uh, uh, versus how much they should patch it up. Yeah, I guess this is a balance we've got to strike, eh, Nico? Like, it's been a while since we've had a completely fresh track, certainly one that's been that open to interpretation from the riders. So it's, I guess, everyone involved kind of got to learn and work their way through this. And, and I'm sure as a sport, we'll get better at deciding, like, where those lines are between what we need to fix, what we need to leave, like how we let a track develop in a safe and constructive manner, but in a way that, you know, presents a real challenge to the riders. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, it's always a tough balance, as you said. General rule of thumb is if it's man-made and gets destroyed, you should fix it. If it's natural and gets destroyed, then you should leave it. But um, it's kind of a blurred line there. And yeah, you want it to be consistent for everybody. Um, it's normal that a track degrades, but you want at least during the race for the track to hold up for the guys competing to have the same shot at it. And if it's falling apart, then it's not going to happen. So, um, yeah, it's a, I think they're, they're doing a good job and normally they have 
I mean, they have the best intentions and they're learning how to execute it the best they can. Yeah, definitely. Ollie, where were the big puzzles this weekend? Then there was quite a few sections with a, a lot going on. It did, in the most part, seem to come down to kind of one line, um, give or take a bit to, by the time we got to finals. But where was the most of the work happening for, for you and all the other line spotters and, and uh, kind of coaching staff? Um, so pretty much from after, like, I guess, sector three, but after, which is after the, um, the bridge, so there was that kind of blue bridge that I think Cade like stop it down in his finals run. Yeah. <laughs> Can we just put Cade in the finals every run, by the way, just to do something cool like that? <laughs> um, uh, so from that bridge down to yeah the end of that sector, which is kind of there's there was two main steep bits in in the trees there, um, and that was definitely causing the the most amount of questions. Um, but then as, as the week got on, there were definitely some like smaller things that started coming out, um, and that we started questioning some just above the bridge, um, for sure to the start of sector three and the kind of end of sector two. And, uh, and we had to go and puzzle on the, uh, the stool wall, you know, we had to go and puzzle on that one and figure out whether that was faster. Um, <laughs> obviously just fun to watch as well as, a, as somebody on the track side, but, um, <laughs> Do you yeah, think they were the kind faster? of main bits. Sorry? Do you think it was faster to send that stool wall? Like they in the commentary, they said half a second, but yeah, Jackson thought half to a half a second to a second. Uh, I actually have clips of it, but don't uh, didn't like side by side them to to check because I think it was more just. I mean, you're off the brakes and you're committed more into the section. So as far as I'm concerned, it's faster. Like not braking is faster, even if you do get a little bit more airtime. Um, but it was more just whether a rider wanted to take the risk because, as you saw, it was, you know, I think, well, two big crashes on there and one big injury from what I've gathered. Yeah, fair. And th let's talk a bit about the organisation of this event because it's definitely come in for some flack online. The first thing that happened this week is the organisers made what looks on the surface of it to have been a good call um, to pull the schedule up a bit uh, for quite a lot of the racing throughout the week, the Enduro and the Elite um qualifying and practice with storms due to come in friday saturday um it seems like that was a pretty good call nico i think it's it kind of helped us get through the week in a in a manner that's provided fair racing Are your thoughts on that that like initial schedule change um yeah it's it's again like a tough balance because as you saw last week with it not being a fair final for everyone it would have been nice if everybody got to race in the same conditions. And I think that's their goal is to have the racing um, the same for all the top guys, if if possible. And you, you balance that with like when they meddle with it, sometimes they get it wrong. And like last week, they changed the schedule and it wasn't the same for everyone. So if you don't change anything and just run the schedule the same every weekend the rules are the same every weekend the order's the same you know what you get it's up to weather at that point which is out of any person's control and then there's nobody to blame it's just a matter of circumstance so you're balancing that with um trying to change things to make it fair um and i think it totally depends on the outcome like if you do it and it works then it was a success and if you do it and it doesn't work then everybody's going to blame you so that's a tough one um personally as somebody who has organized a few downhill races myself i normally just 
try to take my hands out of it and leave it to the, the weather and try to keep things consistent. But I can totally see there was probably a lot of other factors at play at this venue. I don't know enough information that um, they were trying to avoid. So, yeah, I think it worked out this weekend, though. Yeah, in a broader sense, I think it did. But obviously, we need to talk about what happened with the junior racing. So they were left with their race uh, due to take place on Saturday, um, which ended up being after quite a lot of overnight rain. And I think we've probably all seen the videos of riders struggling in the morning practice on the Saturday. Um, I've heard, you know, even Ryan Pinkerton, I think, saying he crashed three times on on his first run down the hill. Doesn't mean it's unrideable, but it's obviously a, a big challenge for them in those conditions. Um, and the organisation made the call to cancel the junior racing and to run the results from the qualifying positions, which obviously the racers didn't know when they went qualifying that, that those could be their final results. I don't think they had any like foresight of that, um, which does definitely feel off. And uh, and I think rightly so, there's been a lot of kickback online of we shouldn't be cancelling a race because it's muddy, it's mountain biking, it's downhill, we should be able to ride in the mud. I'm guessing, as with all these things, there's more to it um, than just the fact that there was a bit of mud on the ground, at least got to hope so. Ollie, you've... Um, You've managed to have a chat with Chris Ball from ESO, who's, I guess, ultimately the, the man that the buck stops with. Have you got any insight on what went into this decision? Because I'm, I'm hoping that it's more than just that there was some mud that people were struggling to ride in. And I'd be surprised to hear otherwise. Yeah, so, I mean, you probably heard this part of it, but the yes, it had rained overnight and yes, the track was slippery and the first couple of I think the A and B rider like the sweepers came down and they struggled and the first like hint that there was a problem came from them um uh, which naturally when the riders hear that they're like yeah but they're not world cup riders da 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 um then then it was obviously a lot of the juniors as well and the junior category and this is what Chris one of the first things Chris said is the junior category it has a big variety or disparity of rider level you know it's mm-hmm. like you've got anyone from you know how's christian hauser getting like top tens in the elite men uh through to you know a young you know boy or girl coming for their first kind of world cup and trying to get a bit of experience kind of thing so he 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 based his or they his team based his decision their decision on the fact that you know it was not these are not all world level riders they're juniors, some of them having their first go at a World Cup kind of thing, which is obviously another question of whether you should or shouldn't have juniors that are having the first go at a World Cup, you know, like, is there something for them? But that's a whole other story. Yeah, that, that was where yeah. his, his kind of, a lot of his decision was kind of based around was them, um, the sort of the safety of those riders. And then that then linked to the fact that when they crashed... Um, the medics and the uh, not not medics as in helicopters. Heli- there was, the weather was absolutely fine, so helicopters could have come in. Uh, that was not a problem. Like the evacuation procedure would have been fine on the day. Mm-hmm. Which, if it had have been like storms and 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 um, helicopter couldn't have got in, then you would un- totally understand. And I don't think yeah. anybody here or fans would, you know, say otherwise that it shouldn't have been cancelled. So. 
Um, but yeah, it's more about the the marshals kind of slipping and sliding, and there was a lot of red flags, and nobody could like get people out of the netting and things like this. So, so from a safety perspective, you can understand what you're saying. Like, you don't want a marshal to be like hit by another bike when they're trying to get somebody out of the netting. Um, uh, or anything like that. So I think that he had, did have some other reasons around TV and the. F- I didn't really understand it, if I'm perfectly honest, what he was saying, but some sort of things around, obviously it's it's on TV all around the world or in certain nations around the world. And with that being a case, he said he's got so many people that need to know about all of the various, if there is changes and things like this. So in other words, if he'd have tried to postpone the, the juniors, um, yeah, it's not just the riders and the teams that that, that are being impacted, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were the kind of main things that he was saying. Oh, actually, there was one more, and that was around the. So they did quite a lot of work to the track during the day when the juniors were meant to be riding, and he was saying that the he wanted to do that work to make sure that the elite day was like as good as it could be on on this awesome track. Um, so you can understand all those, I assume, can't you? Like, I don't know if you've heard those already, Chris or Nico, but they're, you know, kind of, I suppose, on paper, sound like quite valid points, right? Yeah, fair. Was there was there some issues with, like, so obviously there's the course that everybody rides down, but mm-hmm. part of the overall event organisation is also the surrounding of that track, so the B-zone, access up and down for medics, marshals, uh, media all of that kind of stuff were there some kind of pinch yeah. points there maybe on a track that we haven't yet run as a world cup like i'd heard rumors that maybe some of the b zone access was not as it should be and that maybe that was part of the issue for kind of medic access but again rumors 100 percent. not yeah not a rumor that like the b there basically wasn't a B zone in in the majority of the track. Like the top bit, arguably, as I've already described it, maybe the more boring section of track. Yeah, B zone was massive. I mean, you were just basically going for a field kind of thing. But you know, the nature of going through steeper tracks and and a little bit more natural tracks is a B zone was non-existent. And and you know, some riders and uh, uh, rider I know very well said, well, you know, some of the tracks that have been built that maybe we'd even ride might have a load of like rubbish on the side and stuff like that but you kind of risk it because it's just you and your mates but it was very you know there was a level of danger of like the amount of rubbish and like when I say rubbish like trees and bracken and everything down the side of the track so like for example me as a coach that's fine I'll just run up the track a little bit and and duck into the next section and stuff like that I'm not going to complain too much I mean we did a bit, but only jokingly. But we're not we're not there for safety, so that's that's less of a problem. The problem arises when with this is that, as Chris has said, he said, "Well, marshals can't get there." The argument, possibly the other side, would be, "Well, why wasn't there a B zone in place in the dangerous parts of tracks where marshals and medics could get to the rider and take them off the track?" You know, it's kind mm-hmm. of like uh, there's a sort of thought that. Well, we said there's a problem then in the marshals not being able to get there, but we knew that problem was coming before the event even arised. So why didn't we do something about it? Okay. Yeah, fair. So maybe some uh, something lacking in preparation or something maybe missed a little bit. Mm. Nico, what are your thoughts on this debate from afar? It's obviously, you know, we've had a lot of 
riders pushing for improved rider safety over the last few years and a few seasons. It was good to see the bridges removed in Andorra, for example, which was something that was flagged last year. Um, this is a big decision that's been made. It sounds like, broadly speaking, with a rider safety reason, and it's kind of almost backfired in a way. Like, how do you feel about this one? Yeah, uh, I obviously don't know as much on the ground of, of what went in behind it, but like my initial reaction was that it was probably the right call for safety and most people were probably overreacting to it. Um, like if they made the call that it would be safer to go off of quality results, then you just take it for what it is. You might not be the most happy about it and it's, it's just the way that the call that was made. Um, the bigger question for me is like, how did we arrive at having a world cup at a venue that could not be raced in the rain? And with all the questions about B zone and everything, like, of course we're racing downhill bikes in the mountains. And part of the reason we get to ride such cool tracks on a variety of terrain is that there's dangerous natural obstacles all over the course. And the B zone just can't possibly always be cleared. It's like, uh, when they said the forest fires in California, they need to clean the floor of the, of the forest. Yeah, of course, if we could do that, then that would help, but it can't possibly be done everywhere. Um, and that's kind of how I feel about the B zone too. Like when possible, absolutely. That thing should be, I mean, if, if it was like a, an auto racing track with a sand runoff, then it would be way better and safer, but it's obviously part of our sport that it, it's just not possible to do that. And I think any, pro racer that goes mountain biking anywhere is going to experience hazards on the side of any bike trail. So, um, with that said though, like, yeah, take every measure possible. And there's a standard that these organizers are held to, like they come and do multiple site inspections. I mean, even we had national champs at our bike park and they were out twice to inspect the course, um, in advance. So I'm sure for a world cup, there's much more than, than that. And there's, there's a handbook written with requirements, criteria for the courses. And if that, like, if that wasn't met, maybe they weren't ready to have a World Cup. Um, and I think the bigger issue is that it wasn't decided in advance that the track was safe or not, or the, the things weren't in place to have this race. I mean, what if that happened on Sunday? Like, are you gonna not allow the elites to race? Um, it, that, that's the bigger issue. Like, of course, we're going to do everything for safety. We've raced plenty of races in the rain before that were unrideable. I can remember several races that I've done that I crashed three times in my race run, and so did all the other riders. Um, and normally, honestly, the mud races aren't the most dangerous as far as, like, big injuries. Like, when it's slippery, you kind of slide. You have some people maybe break up fingers, hands, wrists, stuff like that when you crash into a tree. But it's like when the conditions are perfect and you're able to really push the pace so hard and there's a ton of G-forces through the bike and then one slip and you hit the ground, like that's normally when you have more injuries. Like I think we said like Lenzer had it this year, the conditions are perfect, the track's fast and hard packed, the times are really tight. That's when you have like the larger injuries. Um, not so much in like slippery, steep, muddy races, but if there is one and they can't say somebody has an injury, they need to be on a stretcher and nobody can carry them with a stretcher off the track. That's a huge liability. And of course you can't race in that situation, but we should never start going to a venue that has that situation. <laughs> um, I'm sure 
yeah, they were, it's hard to make that call and you don't know until you were there. And it's the first time we've raced here. So I, I'm sure this will set a precedent to improve things in the future. And um, I'm sure they're very aware of everything I'm saying and self-critical of it as well. Um, but yeah, that's that's my two cents on it. Yeah, fair comment. And I guess, I mean, potentially the test event, I would assume is there not only to kind of shake down the track, but to shake down some of those like track side things and the infrastructure and all that side of stuff. So maybe there was an opportunity there, but I know they, they made quite a few changes based on feedback from the test event to the track itself. And maybe that's where some of these issues have cropped up. I guess it's not always easy to find some of these problems until the track is fully taped, which obviously only happens a few days before the event. We've been back to back. So maybe there wasn't, uh, you know, that many people from the organization on site until a bit later in the week, who knows? But yeah, like you say, Nico, hopefully, and I'm sure they will be, there'll be lessons learned from this and it will be a better venue when we come back to it next year, as far as safety goes. And, uh, and hopefully we'll do a better job, I guess, when we come to other new venues but i think you know on balance it's been a pretty positive week right we've had a really exciting track that i think the sport's been calling for for a long time and we had ultimately what was some really exciting racing it was just a shame that the juniors didn't get to show what they could do but we will just touch on those junior results obviously we've not seen any race action as the the qualities weren't broadcast but Sasha Ernest uh, takes the win in junior women from Maurice Van Leeuwen, Valentina Roa Sanchez, Lisa Boudadou in fourth, and Le Bonheur in fifth. And then junior men, Ryan Pinkerton takes his second win back-to-back with a pretty convincing couple of seconds on Nathan Pontvian in second, Christian Howes a third, Raphael Pelletier in fourth, and Hugo Marini in fifth. Um, so, yeah, not much to dig into there. So we'll we'll move on to, to talking about the women's racing. Um, Ollie, a rider that seems to be maybe not the results quite coming together just yet that it looks like on paper are, are, are possible, um, but it feels like things are starting to click for Millie Onset this season. Like some, I think she was the fastest split in qualies, um, some really impressive performance. Didn't didn't quite pan out on race day, I think ninth on the day, but it looks like maybe some things are starting to to work out really well for her. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and glad you raised her because um, uh, her commitment over the past two rounds, and I've, I didn't obviously see it live or trackside in Andorra, but this week I saw it, her commitment to her lines and to her, just her speed uh, is like, literally she looks like a different rider. She's um, uh, just coming into things super hot. It was... This track was big, especially in the middle. The steep stuff was all about how your efficiency of your braking, you know, making sure the bike wasn't getting kicked about too much. And so it's hard under braking, but even with that, she was still coming in super hot and brake late. Um, so, yeah, like 100%, you just saw basically a new person in terms of her attitude towards um, the speed uh, that's required. It's obviously we're seeing her crash a little bit at the moment. And I guess that's probably like, what's the word? Like um, climatizing to her new speed maybe. But if she doesn't, um, if she can keep it, keep it upright, um, then yeah, she's going to be right up there. And, uh, you know, it's great to see. Definitely, man. And uh, Nico, we'll talk about Lisa Bauman, her best result so far, I think in fifth place. 
Um, comes from an XE background, but looking super quick on one of the more gnarly downhill tracks that we've raced in a while. I think with a bit of tutelage from uh, Cecile and Cedric Ravenel and a friend of Valley Hall as well. Uh, definitely a bright future ahead for Lisa Bauman. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to creep up the results and, and stand on the podium, she'll take a ton of confidence from. I heard in the post-race interview, Valley said that she was following her the first few runs of practice and couldn't quite keep up. So she knew that she was going to be on for a good result, which is pretty cool. When you got a friend like Valley to, to bounce lines off and train with, that's got to help a lot. Yeah, definitely, man. And uh, Ollie, Phoebe Gale's best result so far, I think. She stood on three World Cup or World Champs podiums already this season. It looks like she's winning the kind of battle of the first year elites, I guess, really, from Gracie, uh, Jenna and Isabella. Like it's Phoebe that seems to be making the, the best of that this year. Yeah, Phoebe, you know, is this her second podium, I think, this year, or maybe third? I think it's I think third, second, including champs, it? yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. But she's, um, yeah, she's doing so good. I spoke to her yesterday and uh, just sort of had a bit of a chat about her season and compared it to kind of last season. She said, you know, like the biggest thing she's done is she's gone from, I mean, I've never seen anyone take so many hits as Phoebe takes. And actually, she said that the crash that she had on the first of the steep bits, so where she crashed on the stump, I think there's some photos floating around. Uh, she was like, that's the first big slam she's had at a race she thinks, she, if she can remember well enough, this year. Whereas, you know, I remember last year and previous years, you know, you're, every time I saw her, she was crashing. I was like, is it only happening in front of me or is it just happening all the time? And it, and I happened to be seeing it. So, um, yeah, she's really, really tidying up her riding, looking really strong. Um, and, yeah, as you say, things are working for her. Definitely. And those those top three riders seem to be cementing themselves into those top three places. Uh, Marine Cabrera in third, looking like she's 100% back and absolutely flying on a bike. A good result uh, in France for a French rider. And then Nina Hoffman, like, feels like she's carried some confidence, Nico, from last week's result. She looked incredible on track. She was fastest through the speed trap, but just 2.8 seconds short in the end. It was It was an impressive run from Nina, I think. Yeah, absolutely. From from both her and Marine, like they've kind of, as you said, cemented themselves. Really, the top three have have proven their spot in the in the series. Um, but yeah, both are are doing really well. And um, for Marine, it's got to be like now she's okay. Third was exciting the first time this year, and now I want more. And then um, for for Nina, she she wants to challenge Valley. And last week it was awesome. To, it was a shakeup in the in the series. And um, she wants to push her. So hopefully they, the three of them can keep mixing it up and um, we see them push Valley and see how close they can get to her. Yeah, for sure. Ollie Valley was clearly a bit fired up after not taking the win last weekend. Um, aggression top to bottom. She was really kind of pushing and dancing on the bike down the track. Again, a great, a great run to watch. Great run to watch. And uh, I, I obviously watched... Um, uh, Valley's run from the bottom on a race run but in a semi-finals I was up on track and saw her come through compared to the other women and you could her commitment being one her strength like in terms of like there was quite a few hits either like you're dropping off something or hitting into a hole and like holding herself 
solid and not getting like knocked out of position and like hips swinging off the bike or any of that stuff she would just land super solid or hit a turn super solid and come out in a good position and I think that's what does it for her it means that she can then just hit this stuff a bit faster knowing she can kind of handle it and she's going to come out of the out the other side which maybe a couple of years ago wasn't the case for her she was probably doing the same speed but crashing a little bit more um yeah it was great to see definitely I don't want to like compare men to women but in terms of like the strength you saw the way she was like hopping into things was a, a lot more similar to maybe how the men are kind of doing that um and it's great to see her pushing pushing the sport pushing the speed and certainly pushing Nina and the other uh women who are who are certainly catching up as you know injuries are getting sorted and um you know people are building back the pace such as marine in fact yeah. just to maybe note about lisa as well to top up when valley was in practice i almost sensed her like looking back and thinking craig i haven't i haven't shrugged lisa off yet you know <laughs> like <laughs> she, obviously valley's seeing herself as a person well not even seeing it is the person that's winning most weeks at the moment and this lisa like i was down on like sector three and four and lisa was still behind her and i thought if that's for the whole run that she's done this in practice then credit to her so yeah sorry going to Lisa as well but definitely worth an extra shout out on top of uh, Valley's insane run yeah 100% and Tane on pace for sure and it uh, feels like she's maybe moved beyond that that progression back up to pace and she's now trying to refine that line between fast and too fast Nico like it's it's almost a good sign I guess that she, she's having some crashes and like and, and treading that line rather than you know looking backwards maybe a little bit to some of the issues that she's had to work through yeah, it's always a tough one coming back after after injuries or time off. It seems like in the beginning, you tend to just ride too cautiously. You think you're pushing the pace, but the, there's a lot more there. And then when you arrive at the, the place where you're starting to go past the line and crash and you get a good re- good result on a good run, and then the next week you push harder and crash is like, that's the time where you're back and you're you're really pushing the limits. You You know you are. So I think it's a good spot to be in. And of course, things like this, they're going to happen when you're racing for wins. So um, she's got to keep with it. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on and talk about the men's racing. And it was definitely a drying track, Ollie. I think pretty consistent for people generally through the session, but was, was tire choice becoming a big discussion? I think there was a bit of a mixture of like cut spikes, inters and dry tires on the hill by the looks of what we saw on the coverage. Uh, yeah, it was definitely a discussion. I think people were, a lot of them were liking the spikes still. And I think uh, uh, Laurie, for example, he was on wet screams, which for anybody who's ridden a few years, they're like, they've got to be like the oldest tyre <laughs> to still being used <laughs> out there. And everyone gets kind of excited when it's like, yes, we need the wet screams kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, I believe he still, he did his semi on them and said, yeah, his favourite tyre he's ever had and, and kept him on for race. But from watching without knowing, from watching generally the group, it definitely seemed like some people had moved back to dries. Uh, and as you know, whilst whilst some had stayed on the wet and you could see the difference between when the wet tyres were sliding on the routes, I think, and uh when you know when the the when they were hooking up really well um so yeah definitely a thing with tires and 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 not just saying it was tires it's tires the track and the riders but the uh it definitely was like a race of kind of mistakes wasn't it like who would crash or who wouldn't crash who would make a mistake it was kind of did anyone get a full clean run i don't think so but it was uh yeah it made it pretty exciting for that rather than which 
is what's also good about a track like this is that it's going to you know it's hard to do it completely clean and really for it really fast really on the limit yeah it was a fine balance i think between aggression and precision on on the track as it was in that state but um nico before we go too far into the men's results i wanted to ask you about dylan maples i think the final result maybe didn't show it as much but it looks like he had a pretty good weekend do you, do you know much about dylan another u.s based rider um i don't know him super well i i've raced with him a couple times and obviously seen him cup it coming up um Got to chat with him at World Champs when we were under the USA Cycling Tent and got to race with him at National Champs this year. I think probably one of the most I talked to him was on the side of the track during National Champs. We were both stopped in the same section, and I was like, hey, dude, good job at the past couple of races because I think he had just made the semi and the final in Leo Gang. And, um, and he told me a little bit about it. He's making progress. He was stoked to be making progress. So props to him. That's a good spot to be in when you're, when you're young and you're – you're doing better every weekend. Um, that's so motivating. And like, I can remember getting my first top 20 result or top 10 result. And you, you go to bed that night, just like dreaming of the next race. And now all of a sudden you're like, I can do this. What's the next thing I can do. And it's such a, such an inspiring feeling. So congrats to him. And hopefully he keeps progressing that way definitely good to see and uh the track it definitely provided some different challenges i think and, and like you said ollie there was some some errors and some crashes um and as a result we saw some some different names near the top of the timesheets you get riders that are maybe more confident or more comfortable in those kind of conditions that there's a bit of room made by some of the people that crash but it's a pretty interesting top 10 um so we'll work our way through it let's start with um Ninth and tenth place, so Anton Pierron in tenth and Ollie Davis in ninth, both from the Union uh, team. I think we're third placed team of the day after the Santa Cruz Syndicate and Specialized Gravity, which, considering their budget, will be quite a lot less than those two teams. Um, that's pretty awesome. But yeah, both those riders looking super good. Like Ollie's had a, a really good season so far for sure, and both of them like. It looked it looked solid. It didn't look like they got away with too much. They were they were both on good runs, Ollie. I think. Oh, for sure, yeah. In fact, Ollie Davis, I didn't really know him until the beginning of this season, and uh, we were on a ride together and uh, just chatting away. And I think he was saying how like last season he basically like didn't qualify for any race and stuff like this. Like was saying it was just a tough year, and I think I don't know if he got an injury at some point, but yeah, it just wasn't good. And then suddenly this year. It's like he's, well, I mean, in this case, he's got ninth and he had a good result last week, but not just a result. When you see him on track, you know, I, I sometimes speak about like ownership of the track, if you know what I mean, like being like up there and being one, you know, in your behaviours, being one of the pers people who knows they're the fastest kind of thing, not just like keep telling yourself and actually you're not, <laughs> like actually being on there, looking good on the bike and like having that air of confidence about you and you could see when he came in, like he was uh, fully committed through practice and not sketchy, you know, like there was plenty of the fully committed people that were like nearly crashing. Um, but Ollie Davis, yeah, massive respect to him. And, and, you know, he's gone and beaten Greg Menard, you know, like he, he's, he's got to be ecstatic about that. I'm not sure Greg would be so happy, but like, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's insane. I'm sure Greg's a hero of his and he would look up to him across the team you know to a, to the a team or whatever you call it but um yeah it's a massive respect to him on that one yeah i thought it was awesome to see him doing so well this year um he's such a nice little kid and to see him last week 
get top 10 and then back it up this week is so cool. I actually texted Joe Bowman after the race and was like, dude, good job team. You guys are crushing it. And he built this whole team as a way to like get guys up to the next level. Like his goal is for the guys to do well enough to get onto an even bigger team. And that was it from the beginning. And I thought it was cool that his response to me after uh, I told him that the boys were crushing a good job, he's like, yeah, now need to find them a big team to, to progress to. So even when they're doing well, he's not like, yeah, we're taking credit and we want to keep them. He's like, they're doing what I wanted and now we need to bump them up to the next level. So that's a cool attitude, I think, from him. And I think he wants to just keep getting guys on so he can get more young guys to to put into that spot so props to jobo for sure yeah nico what do you think sorry just to interrupt chris but nico what do you think about the fact that he the team manager has that attitude is surely like the reason the riders are doing well right i think so i mean he their goals are the same like if if you're on a you call it a B level team. You, your goal as a racer is to progress to get A level support, and a lot of team managers of B level teams want to try to use the riders to bring their team to an A level team, and they want to take the credit for that. Where I think Jobo's like just very clear. Like everybody on the team gets paid the same small salary, so they can afford to train instead of work, and once they're good enough they want to pass them up to an a-level team so i think it's awesome what he's doing and it's it's really positive for the sport yeah such a good model joe yeah joe bo is definitely one of the good guys for sure um let's move on to eighth place ethan crake had a, a really good weekend last weekend in uh Valnord, but obviously we had the weather roll in there none of that this weekend fair track for everyone Eighth place, Ollie, the, the uh, quiet man of the of the pitch, yet again, just getting out there and crushing it. He looked awesome as well. He's getting a well-deserved mention every week at the moment on this podcast, isn't he, to be fair? <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, again, you know, similar to Ollie, like just his, his like commitment. And the thing I loved about his riding when watching him was how the positivity of his, like, pumping and waiting up or loading of the corners was like i'd say on a particular section i was watching like better than everybody you know and, and that that pump gave him the awesome acceleration out of the turn uh which obviously makes you go quicker and buys you buys you uh, a faster run time so yeah he's just like he finds his marks he commits to them fully and uh and that's where i think he gets his speed yeah, his corner exit was uh, was pretty impressive, I would say, for sure. Yeah, good work, Ethan. Uh, Nico, seventh place, Davido Palazzari. Um, I'm not sure if that's his best result or not, but again, he's a rider that isn't one of the kind of big names at this point, I would say, but like we're seeing him pretty consistently on live feeds putting in good performances, and this is one of the better ones. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he always shows like glimpses of, of his potential, and he looks so good in the gnarly or technical sections of the track um so yeah it's awesome to see him do well at the races i i love to chat with him when i when i see him and um yeah props to him hopefully he can take the confidence from this one finally getting it to the finish in a top 10 and and do it again yeah solid work from davida and now uh, ollie sixth place dylan levesque again someone who's like looking increasingly more dangerous every race this season like he's just 
it seems to be building speed and the results are starting to flow. So sixth place, again, I'm th- pretty sure that's his best result to date. I think there's more to come from him. Yeah, I, th- I thought he, from watching, and, and maybe if I watched back, I may think others as well, but the biggest thing for him that I saw was his braking efficiency uh, looked like one of the best. Like he wasn't, the bike wasn't sliding too much on the rear wheel and the, and the bike wasn't jacking up too much. He definitely had a good balanced front and rear brake. Uh, uh, and good modulation and understanding of the floor. And I actually raised that with somebody standing next to me when we were watching, and and they said, oh, I think he like comes from this area, like like grew up around this area, or even still lives here. I'm not too sure. And I said, oh, maybe that makes sense because he understands like like the dirt a bit a bit better uh, around here, and that meant that he can, uh, you know, he he sort of understands how it's going to slide. Um, but take nothing away from him, whether he is local or not. I don't know whether that's true, but take nothing away from him. He's been building well and delivered. Uh, yeah, an absolutely insane runtime and and just a nudge off the podium. One of the only guys in the top ten on a full twenty nine er, I think, as well. And it was interesting to see on the on the broadcast and some of the like more rutted sections and deeper holes. Um, it looked like the bike just had a little more ground clearance, which was interesting. He's not like a particularly big guy. I think maybe that bike it was designed primarily for a full twenty nine, so it works better in that configuration. Um, but it looked like he was carrying a ton of speed and she able to like stay out of some of the deeper stuff that other guys were falling into. Well, on that note, I, I, and I'm just looking at the results sheets here. He was at, he was fastest at the first split. So, uh, and that's like the faster, like open section at the top. So an interesting point. I didn't, I didn't actually register. He was on 29, but could definitely, uh, have helped him at the top there as well. Nico, have you spotted whether he's normally on full 29 or not? Or, is, or has he made a switch because of the track? I think he normally is. I can't say that okay. with 100% confidence. Um, but, I mean, my my opinion of it is, like, whatever the bike was designed for, whether it was 29 or mixed wheel, it's probably going to work better in, in that configuration rather than modifying it to work in a different way. So um, the bike, whether you like, the bigger wheel or not probably just as a full package works better that way and yeah you can as a rider adjust to a lot of things so he's making it work for him and yeah just cool to see some differences and setup out there yeah definitely man and as soon as i saw this track at the start of the week there was one name that came to mind and that's remy tyrion um i'm not sure when we last spoke about him on the show but he's always in the mix when it gets steep and there's a bit of room for creativity on the track um and awesome to see Remy back up there, hey, Nico, like such a talented rider. And he always manages to find something that others don't seem to. He had some nice kind of open, wide lines. He was out on the grass in a few little spots, just maybe not huge differences, but make, making it count. Yeah, totally. When it's steep and wide and there's high lines involved, it's got Remy's name all over it. Um, and he's had a rough, rough go, I guess, the past year this season. Um, you know, he picked up broken arm, I think it was last year and struggled to kind of get his flow going. And he just had some bad luck in some of his semifinals or, or, or qualifying runs. Um, but man, it must've felt really good for him in France to get onto the podium. Um, he's such a good dude. So everybody was stoked for him. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool to see, uh, fourth place, Jackson Goldston, uh, an impressive ride, but Nico, that gap off the stall wall at the top was 
pretty ridiculous. Um, fair amount of commitment to do that in your race run. It looked like he got it pretty much perfect as well. I think he just lives for stuff like that. <laughs> he did do it perfect. He jumped it to the inside and like, yeah, I guess you could make the argument that jumping into that thing, it might've been harder to get the turns after it really well, but the best line would be to go fast in and fast out. And it looks like that's what he was going for. Um, surprisingly, he gave up a lot of time at that top sector. I don't think that jump really made the difference. I think probably just being like a lighter guy, like he's so small and light. Um, it must be tough to carry a lot of speed across flatter sections when, when you don't have the weight to carry. Um, but he made it up very quickly in the bottom section, like one of the sections he made up a second and a half and a short split and, um, was making time up right to the end. So you could tell for him, it's very, um, terrain dependent and he's, he's really good on the more technical, steeper stuff. And just physically, he's going to give up some on the, on the flatter sections where you need to carry speed. Yeah. And I'm guessing he might still be a bit down on weight as well from the, the post-surgery on his appendix. I know he lost like 12 kilos or something after surgery because he was on a liquid only diet. So I'm guessing it will take him a little while to put all of that back on, um, despite what seems to be the fact that he just eats sweets all the time. But I'm sure there is a healthy diet <laughs> underneath all of that stuff. Um, third place, a good friend of yours and someone you spent a lot of time working with, Ollie, Laurie Greenland, who has had a bit of a, like an, some kind of underlying fatigue, sort of illness thing going on that he's talked about um, over the last couple of races. But uh, he looked lit and I guess... We, we could question whether wet screens were the right choice given the conditions once his run happened, but what are your thoughts on it? Uh, yeah, his uh, his semi-final run was absolutely awesome, wasn't it? It was great to see, even with the fatigue, that he delivered that run and he just put so much time into everybody in the woods other than Benoit. But um, So, yeah, to come back and then uh, try and follow up, he was obviously third this uh, in the finals. Um and he had a good run, but he just made those couple of mistakes, didn't he? I don't think that was down to those tyres, though, if I'm brutally honest. I think where the mistakes were made. Uh, the first one before the first steep, it may have been a little bit harder packed there by the time it come to finals. Um, but definitely further down, I think what was costing him uh, wasn't that. And from speaking to him, he said that it was more... Uh, more this fatigue thing he was like he's he he described his energy as coming in waves down the track so he was like really focused and then it disappeared and a mistake had happened and then it would like almost kick him back into focus and then it disappeared so um he's actually going to the red bull athlete performance center tomorrow um to get checked up when you speak to him and you hear about the sort of symptoms and i'm not a medic but when you hear them it sounds very like glandular fever-esque if you know what i mean like that okay. type of thing um uh but that's that, I'm not saying it's that for any second but it's definitely that's the kind of uh like the things he speaks about um so yeah hopefully he'll get the tests and um they'll find he just wants to know what it is you know like if you don't know what it is you can't fix it so he just wants to know what it is fix it and then i think even he'd admit he just wants to stop talking about it and get on with the uh the job in hand and riding his bike he says you know he's sort of he's almost making him like lose as in his words like you lose the froth a little bit for racing yeah. and for not even for racing just for riding um he said you know when you feel ill and you and you sort of want to you go and ride and you just don't really have that like oomph for it kind of thing so um third place with no oomph we'll take that i think 
hundred percent. That's what I was going to say. Like a result like that on a physically demanding, pretty long track um, is insane. So yeah, looking forward to seeing Laurie when he's back on full song for sure. Nico, let's talk about Dakota Norton, his best ever result in second place. Maybe a, a little frustrating as well to only be 0.7 something off of uh, first. Um, it was a pretty aggressive run from Dakota. Aaron was saying in commentary that like he's a rider that builds and they've been trying to get him to go harder from the gate. And it, it, looked, it looked like he went pretty hard everywhere. There was definitely a few messy moments, but he made it. he made it work. Yeah, you could see how hard he was pushing down the bottom of that track. Um, but yes, stoked for Dakota. He's got that in him every weekend, and it seems like like a lot of guys it just hasn't come together. So I'm sure it feels great to finally, after so many tries, deliver this result that you know you're capable of. His setup's like a lot different than a lot of other riders. Rides a super high front end, um, really short cranks for how tall he is, um, and it just shows that like that there's a different formula for everybody and that's what he's comfortable with and when you're comfortable and you're happy and you you believe you have what you need you can ride to your full potential so awesome to see that from him um hopefully he can keep that rolling i think uh yeah it was cool to hear aaron commenting on the race too like aaron i thought did an awesome job on the commentary he, he pretty much worked the whole thing like i i felt like aaron worked for four hours today but um, a lot of his insight, like into into his experience working with Dakota and commenting on his run, and also Aaron's experience as a as a racer in these situations, was so um, like clear and simple yet effective. So that's sometimes hard to get across, like when you're on a broadcast and you have to do it for the general person listening. I thought Aaron did an awesome job of that, and it help everybody to understand like when he was commenting on Dakota's run, what the guy was going through. So I thought it was really cool. So props to both of them. Yeah. hundred percent. I was going to talk about the broadcast a bit later, but we'll do it now. I think for me, that was the best broadcast of the year. Like I felt like things have definitely progressed and the, the whole broadcast had improved still work to be done. I'm sure. But there was a couple of new graphics that came in. There was like something showing us where the, cut off was uh during semis which was kind of cool to have there was an occasional graphic that showed how many riders and who was left at the top of the hill which was good and then yeah bringing aaron and miriam in i think really like enriched the commentary in a massive way i thought aaron especially did a super good job what a friend of mine uh coined it gwinsight he thought he provided a lot of gwinsight into what was going on um so yeah, it's kind of a shame because like I'd love to see Aaron back racing and back on a bike, but kind of also want to keep him in the commentary box now. Like he did do uh, such a good job. So yeah, fair play uh, to Aaron and Miriam for getting stuck in and, and doing that. But yeah, let's talk about today's winner, Ollie. Loic Bruni was fired up after you know a big disappointment for him last weekend, despite having one of the best, if not the best, runs on the day, just let down by conditions. Um, that was a what looked like a pretty perfect. Loic Bruni run very precise very controlled and ridiculously fast yeah uh, precise as well said you know he does use all of the track doesn't he like you could see on that open section at the top before the before the road how close he got to the pole and I know some people were kind of questioning it a little bit but uh, or looking at it closely but it was you know he was within the pole uh, and it just shows that he's like pushing the limit even more. You know, there's there's obviously lines, you know, there's insides, there's outsides or 
it's in ruts, whatever it may be. But he's he's pushing everything to the absolute limit, and um, and and that shows in this run. You know, it was a neat delivered run. I think an interesting point though. So sector one, he was seventh, and then first from then all the way through. Um, and I believe him and maybe some others. I think uh, Deprella. I'm not sure if Finn actually had it, but a few of them had lockouts on the bike at the, mm-hmm. um, for that top section, so they could get better drive. Uh, but he was seventh, uh, and w- and when you look, like actually the fastest on the top was Dylan with twenty niners, and second fastest on the top, just to, just whilst I'm talking top sector, uh, was Cade. Quite interestingly, and <laughs> no um, way. you know n- you wouldn't say he's renowned <laughs> for this like like maybe a top sort of high speed just generating speed thing, uh, but Cade and I were talking before the event, in, actually on track walk, and he was telling me he runs like thirty five psi in his in his <laughs> tires in the rear tire and i think 30 or something around that in the front mainly because he says he finds it will it will roll the tire will roll if um uh, if he doesn't have that and he's obviously a big guy that pushes hard in turns uh and i actually said to him i said oh well it's, you know and he said oh, it will roll really well as well and i said to him well it's not always the case dude like actually like a slightly softer tire on, on dirt and rocks can act, can sometimes in, in certain situations roll better uh well obviously i'm wrong because uh, you know he, he he put that second uh in, the, in that top split but yeah going back to bruni other than that top split which um i, I i'm actually surprised he didn't win it because of the way he was riding it um the, to deliver all the way through the rest of the track um you know on on those on sections and if i'm honest i spoke to laurie i said how do you beat the french in france i said you have a steep track that's really wet you know and 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 there's a steep track that was okay not really wet but pretty wet and loic um delivered in that environment and uh so yeah huge credit to him definitely and credit to kate good to see him in the finals i know he's had a a rough run this year so far but shame he had that crash in the run but again it means he got to turn the style on so it's always good to see Cade riding in that manner adds adds some interest to the broadcast and uh, yeah he's always good to watch yeah let's do some other mentions so I mean Benoit Coulange Nico doesn't seem to be able to get much of a break he was so close to making it the three-peat of taking qualies semis and the final like it's gotta come soon but yet again it just didn't quite go his way eh? yeah I mean he, he's got to be proud of himself he went for it you're not gonna win that race by giving any less effort and pushing any less hard so i was rooting for him i i like he's just an awesome dude and he hasn't won one yet so um i, I definitely yelled at the tv when he when he hit the deck but um he kept it exciting to the end and obviously he's he's got to know that it's it's coming soon so just keep doing the same thing and and it'll it'll be there soon enough definitely and ollie tebow de Prella, uh, as always full commitment uh, kind of got a bit lucky that could have been pretty nasty i mean losing your bike mid-run is pretty unusual but that that was a, a big crash with the potential to be a lot worse no i mean look, you, you kind of got to laugh the fact that he lost his bike <laughs> i mean that that was funny but the crash definitely wasn't funny and that i like i was i was standing at the bottom watching and and we were just chatting we were like how does he get away with this stuff you know how does he how does he crash that hard and still just kind of get up? And the worst thing that's happened is he's lost his bike. You know, like, like I think if anybody else had crashed that half that hard, we'd be missing an arm or something. You know, like at best. So, um, 
so yeah he's obviously made of some hard material i'm sure but um yeah not sure you know i'm I'm gonna say it and be pretty honest i'm not sure his like crazy approach was going to get away with it on that track you know it was quite interesting the bit that he that didn't get away with it on was one of the bits that probably he should have you know so you know he was he was doing well he was going fast he was absolutely going for it all through practice it was just awesome to watch uh uh, as a spectator and a fan of the sport just to see somebody who looks like they're riding with an engine on the bike um and yeah gl- i'm glad he's all right oh, I, I haven't had it confirmed to be fair that he's actually okay from the crash but he obviously rolled down so hopefully nothing too serious yeah fingers crossed he's okay and then nike one of the i guess more unfortunate or one of the biggest kind of losses of the weekend is for finn isles he picked up the leader's jersey last weekend and he's let it go this weekend um, that course out ended up with a disqualification. There's a few people that kind of got unstuck in that little section as well, but it's a it's a huge points loss for Finn. Yeah, totally. Um, I think you saw Luca do something similar in that situ in that same section. Had to push up, um, but it wouldn't have made a difference. Like if he stopped and pushed up, he would have got outside of the points anyway. So yeah, um, yeah, just a bummer for the mistake in the position he was in i'm sure he's going to be regretting that that mistake but um still somewhat close in the points he's in second um and obviously as we saw how big the shakeups are it's still all to play for um i was surprised to see the points come out and loic in the leader's jersey it's just like such a stark contrast from last weekend and what went on to this weekend um but it keeps it really exciting to watch. Um, we've had five world cups and world champs and have had six different race winners, which is super exciting. I don't think you can ask for anything better. And with so many points on the line through three different opportunities, you can see that the shakeups happen in, in huge swings, which we haven't seen before. So it's definitely keeping it exciting. Um, Personally, like watching last week when they had to cut to only a 60 rider final, I enjoyed watching that a little better than watching a semi and then cut to 30. Like from a broadcasting perspective, it would take less time to just run all 60 guys and bigger gaps for than the final 30. Um, I'd say they should have probably scored the guys down to 60th, give them some points. But, um, from a viewing perspective, I think that format would kind of look better. You get to see a little bit of everyone's run and then you get to see just as much of those top 30 guys run. And there's no confusion of like, was, did I watch him? Did he do that in semi? Did he do that in final? It is even as like a, I would consider myself a very hardcore fan watching. It's sometimes hard to follow. So I don't know. What do you guys think about how that looked? I'm, I'm with you, Nico. Like I, I think I've said on this before, like I've struggled to see how semifinals fits. Um, I know certainly for like my riding group, there's not many of us that are going to commit the amount of time to watch all of the semis and all of the finals. Um, and it doesn't build in the same way that the day used to. Like it, it just feels like a kind of an odd fit. And I did enjoy both world champs and uh, last weekend having a more traditional like approach to the finals. Um, obviously world champs the order's a bit odd but like last weekend I thought was super good so yeah and I think I think we're not alone I don't know about you Ollie but it feels like most of the 
most of the internet are quite happy to to get rid of semis if that's possible. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's um, you know once you've kind of seen one rider go down a hill, like they're, they're not going to change too much on their second go down, short of like seeing some extra mistakes and like the crashes and stuff and whatnot. But like you know, you see a rider do a run in the morning and you see a rider do a run in the afternoon. I actually think that. The, in terms of the conversation that was had last week with obviously Bruni and a few of the top guys having a, a run in the rain, like we know in the mountains it rains in the afternoon. If it's going to rain, it, it builds and generally the rain comes in the afternoon, around about 3.30, 4 o'clock, around about when the top guys are coming down the hill. So as far as I'm concerned, the actual run we get rid of is the finals and call the semi-finals, the one that's sort of at like 10, 11 in the morning, that that's the run that's the finals run and then i think we should end up with i'm sure you could look back at all the races and we've i think that we'd much more likely have fairer racing if it was done in the morning anyway yeah fair point yeah good right submit that to eso get that all sorted ollie nice work i did <laughs> raise uh... it with chris actually when we met <laughs> oh really interesting yeah. <laughs> did he say yes definitely ollie we'll do that next time uh, he didn't say no. He sort of, you know, because I guess you know he's got a he's got a package of things to sort, hasn't he? It's not sure. just one thing. Everything, in, you know. But yeah, he, yeah, it was. It's it's it, all the ideas are good ideas, and I'm sure we can all pipe up and you know shout. We should do this or we should do that. But you know, he's got to try and put the whole thing together and please yeah. many different stakeholders and whatnot. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. I have I have heard multiple people say he's at least open to listening to. Uh, different points of view which is definitely a good thing in, in his position let's just quickly wrap up with the overall so junior women we've got Lisa Bouladou leading from Valentina Roa Sanchez um, and Arise van Leuven all within 15 points I think so that's pretty tight um, junior men Ryan Pinkerton leads from Bodie Kuhn and Chris Hauser with about 50 points separating them but I think Bodie's out with potentially a concussion based injury at least for the moment um, elite women, so Valley is now pretty well clear of Nina in second. Um, and then Cami obviously sounds like she won't be racing uh, the rest of this season, but that she is, broadly speaking, okay and, and on the men, which is really good to hear. Um, and Marine closing in fourth. And then men's, yeah, low it back into the lead from Finn, Jackson, Loris and Thibaut, which like you say, Nico, it's pretty insane how, like, you know, Loic's head in hands at the end of last weekend, like, this has been horrific. It's going to be hard to claw that back. And then a week later, he stood on the podium in the leader's jersey, um, which is cool. Like, it's kind of cool, eh? Like, it just shows that things can change. And all right, there were some strange circumstances with the, the leader getting that disqualification. Um, but still, it's pretty cool. It's nice to see it swap around. So, yeah, an exciting season yeah. at this point, I think. Uh, to be honest, like, Loic thrives off of those situations. So... I can't say I'm surprised, and I was <laughs> expecting this to come at some point before the end of the season. But you could see with what he left last weekend with that he was like, that was all that he needed to just want to go out and win everything. Like he he just takes, he rises to those occasions so much. So it'll be exciting to watch the rest of the season now. It definitely will. But And before we wrap up, we need to do... Uh, everyone's favorite segment lit kit um ollie you said before the show i reminded you that we were going to be doing lit kit because you sometimes you struggle to pick one and you were like i don't i don't you don't need to remind me i'm on it it's easy go on <laughs> well it is easy and surely we're all just going to agree on this so um kit matched with bike 
uh, matched with the fact he did a stoppy over the bridge, matched with the fact he did a suicide, uh, tuck no hander off of Blooming like jump into like a very steep chute may I add like yeah. a chute where Deprella crashed and Finn ran off track like uh Cade has the lit kit <laughs> for sure uh from me and you two have to agree with me you're not allowed to pick anything else <laughs> I on, wasn't going to pick anything else anyway so I'm not you know, <laughs> uh yeah he looked great he rode great like the videos I saw of him from the first day were just incredible he's uh He's awesome to watch ride a bike. And uh, I don't know how Loic can feel with his electronic suspension system optimized for every section, getting beat by a guy who did a tuck no hander in his race run. <laughs> Class. Yeah, fair play. Like, that was super good. Like the, And the bike, even more so than the kit, I think. Like, the, the fact that they did the bike so well really set that off so yeah fair play to Cade and everyone involved in getting that together I thought honorable mention goes to the pivot Liat um collab kit the like the blue white fade I thought looked really cool but they needed one blue shoe and one white shoe and they they didn't have it and that the video me, was awesome did you see their video when they uh in person yeah, see the office, office? I, I <laughs> yeah. love that it was super good. Eddie's so, yeah, so just funny. Sort out, I love if they could, Eddie's Eddie's comedy is just awesome. It was it was super good, but yeah, they just need to get that white and blue shoe, and then I think they're on to a winner with that one. <laughs> yeah, I think they also if you the pit. Well, I was just going to say because the enduro team, which obviously we, we don't raise, they had the bike that matched the kit as well. So maybe if they had the bike like the enduro bike, they could have been uh, could have been a little bit further up there. You never know. Interesting. Work to be done, but it was a promising start for sure. <laughs> nice one. All right, guys. Well, it's been super fun chatting. Uh, Ollie, I'll be on the ground with you in Leger next week. So it'd be good to uh, spend some time trackside with you and absorb some more of your knowledge. And Nico, we look forward to catching up with you after the race and uh, chatting all about it. But it's going to be another exciting one, I think. Yeah, for absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Looking forward to talking to you guys next week and can't wait to watch the racing. <laughs> All right, that's it for this Maxxis Tires post-race show with Nico and Ollie. I really hope you've enjoyed it. A massive thanks to Maxxis for supporting this season. Maxxis have incredible tires for you no matter how or where you ride. So head over to maxxis.com or visit your local Maxxis dealer and check them out. Here's a few other links that might be useful to you too. Downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow so you never miss an episode. Forward slash shop to support the show by getting yourself some merch. And forward slash EP if you'd like to get copies of our lovely print project, Downtime EP, which is made in collaboration with the team at Misspent Summers. If you want to help support the show, then you can set up a regular donation over at patreon.com forward slash downtimepodcast. As always, spread the word and make sure as many people as possible are listening. That's it for today. But until next time, get out and ride. Bye.